Father, we once again come to you. We come to you in confidence. We come to you in boldness. We come into you uh, in hope. In recognition that the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created us, that you are here and that you are present. And that you hear and that you know. Lord, we're coming to sit at your feet. We're coming to open up your word, to hear your voice. So that we can be conformed into your image. So that we can participate in your life together. In oneness, and holiness, in unity. Submitting ourselves to you, Lord. Not being filled with our will, but being filled with your will. So as we do that, Lord, bless us. Break through the walls in our minds and our hearts. Enable us to grow in maturity in your son. Enable us to encounter Jesus this morning. Let us hear your voice in our minds and in our hearts, Lord. And give us the power to be obedient to you. Recognizing that you are a God of love. That you are a God of grace. You are a God of beauty and holiness. And you are a God who is in absolute control. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's read, uh, we're going to finish the verses here in chapter 47 to begin with. It says, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of his bed. What a life as we've watched Jacob, as we've sat and studied his life. For most of us, this isn't the first time uh, being exposed to him. For me, it's been, it's been very rich in watching Jacob's life. And here at the very end, he's having this moment of just recognition um, of who God is, of, of God's... Uh, promises to him, commanding his son, don't bury me here in this foreign land, but bury me with my fathers. And here's this introduction to God's sovereignty that I want to step into this morning. We're going to geek out on a little bit of math here. So where it says that Jacob lived... Again, what a powerful word for him because for the 20 prior years, he was in bitterness and in misery in regards to believing that his son Joseph was dead. Now that he's had this resurrection of his son, so to say, he's there, he's in his son's life, he's living in the land. It says that he lives there for 17 years. What's interesting, just mathematically, and again, this is where we're going to keep God's sovereignty, that he is in control, and we're going to give this definition as we go through this morning. But for 17 years, he lived with his son Joseph in Canaan because Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold sold as a slave. Lived for these 20 years without his son. And now he's lived with his son again for these 17 years. 
uh, at, at this point at the end of his life. It's a similarity, and there's, there's some um, cohesion in, in Abraham's story, where Abraham lived for 75 years with his dad in the land of his nativity before he was called out. He lived for 25 years in the land of Canaan without his son Isaac, and then he lived another 75 years with his son Isaac in the land. I'm bringing all this up because we see God's very intentional imprint on this. Now, when it comes to the number 17, Jacob, his age, dying at 147, the math is 7 times 7 times 3 equals 147. When you add those numbers together, it's 17. The cohesion in God's footprint, his handprint footprint, I guess we're his footstool down here, but his handprint in this. Isaac, so Jacob's dad, lived to 180 years old. His age, mathematically, subtract one, so it's not 7 times 7, it's 6 times 6 times 5 adds up to his age of 180. And that 6 plus 6 plus 5 adds to 17 also. Back that up to Abraham, 175 years old when he dies. His age multiplied is 5 times 5 times 7. Again, 5 plus 5 plus 7 equals 17. The math that's in this, the intention that is in this is a plan by purpose. This isn't human beings that have sat down and, and, and just figured out a story and made these ages all to do these little mathematical formulas and that kind of stuff. It's one of these weird things, and there's multiple weird things that we could sit in God's word. His very specific fingerprint in regards to his plans, his purposes, that Abraham's life, that Isaac's life, that Jacob's life from beginning to end is a plan. It's a purpose. It's an intention according to the will of God. Just like the number of your days before you were even created, God knew you. And he has a plan mapped out for your life. And we're going to see in this plan, there are parts of our lives that are non-negotiable. God is going to cause us to go down a particular path in this life where his will is going to be performed. And especially when we sit in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we sit in these individual men where God revealed himself to them individually, gave them promises to Abraham, then confirmed those promises to Isaac, confirmed those promises to Jacob. These three men, they're known as the patriarchs. Because they had very specific encounters with God where it was individual, singular men. Abraham's promises that God gave to him, they were for Isaac and Isaac alone. They weren't for Ishmael. God's promises that he gave to Abraham and Isaac, they were for Jacob alone. They were not for Esau. But now as we sit in Jacob's sons, the 12, now we're still dealing with the nation of Israel. We're dealing with the 12 tribes. We're dealing with this division in his household. And we're also dealing with the unity within this household. We're going to watch God's sovereignty in regards to his plan and his purposes for the nation of Israel, which is ultimately to point every single human being to his son, Jesus. The nation of Israel was to be a light. 
They were to be a witness. They were to be stewards of the oracles of God, of his word. And they were to be proclaiming his word, the true and living God, to whatever creature would listen. And this is our same role and responsibility that we have being part of the body of Christ. So here Jacob is drawing to the end of his life. His days have been numbered by God. He is worshiping God in gratitude. Again, I can't imagine the restoration of relationship between this father and this son. Now let's step into chapter 48 because Jacob and Joseph have a conversation to process through here. And we'll read all of chapter 48. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. First mention of sickness there in the Bible. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Remember, this is what he renamed Bethel. In the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a multitude of people. And give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by, by the name of their brothers and in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way. And there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand. And again, you have to have the imagery. Stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has led me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, 
For this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, son, I know. He shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them. That day, saying, by you Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying, but God will be with you, plural, and bring you, plural, back into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword. In my bow. So here, jo- Jacob is having this end of life scenario where he is sick. Again, I mentioned this is the first mention of sickness in the Bible. We can sit in this just th- with the age and lifespan of people. Um, as a first message, we can watch just the genetic code and bacteria and viruses, all these kinds of stuff morphing over time. And here Jacob is finding himself sick, that he's not just going to die from old age, but he's actually passing away from a sickness. And he knows that the end is coming, and you know that as he's worshiping God, that he's hearing from God, he knows that he is to give his son instruction. And not just instruction, but a command, swear to me that you'll bury me with my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And here he is on his, on his deathbed. He hears that his son is coming with his grandsons. He takes up strength in himself and situates himself on, bed, on the bed, knowing that he has something to convey to his son and to his grandsons. And again, this is, this is the action of God that we are watching in this. And the imagery that we have between Jacob and his son Joseph and Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, this is this picture of adoption that we get in the New Testament where God has created every single human being that has ever existed. But through faith in Jesus Christ, there's a unique relationship where we truly become the offspring of God, the children of God. And this is a pronouncement. It's, it's a legal transaction that is occurring where when you come to God the Father, the God that created the heavens and the earth through his son, he says, you are mine. Just as my son who has been with me for all eternity, just as we are one, you are now a child of God through this de- declaration of adoption and the language that Joseph sorry that Jacob is using here is the exact same just as Reuben and Simeon are my natural sons your sons Joseph they're now mine and we've sat a lot in Genesis already of how much Joseph images Jesus Christ so it's as though the father is speaking to the son, Christ, saying, your, your sons, those who come to you, those who come to me through you, they are mine just as if they had always been mine. And it's a beautiful picture of relationship. And in this, we are watching the, this, uh, the language that's being given. It's very national language. 
you could, uh, if you're paying attention to the text, half the time it's saying the name Jacob, half the time it's saying the name Israel. It's the same man, but God is the one who gave Israel his name. He's now governed by God. This wrestling experience that he had with God, the first, well, as he's coming back into the land, he's talking about the God of Bethel. So this is directly linked to chapter 35. When he comes back into the land, God is fulfilling all these promises. Jacob is a changed and transformed man in his God. Again, beautiful imagery of relationship. And now it's looking at Israel as these 12 tribes, as this nation, as the foundation of the multitude, the foundation of the promise that God gave to Abraham in the very beginning. I will make you a father of nations. I will cause you to be a multitude. Abraham didn't see that in his life. Isaac didn't see that in his life. Jacob's just witnessing the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promises. And here, these are land-inheriting nations, or land-inheriting tribes. So when Jacob says, Ephraim and Manasseh, that they're mine, that means that these men, that their descendants are going to inherit land in Canaan. And that becomes important as we, as we go forward because by taking Joseph away is minus one, and by adding two sons is plus two, that now makes the 12 tribes of Israel 13 tribes. But only 12 tribes are land-inheriting tribes, which we're going to see in a minute as we get into the next chapter. But here, this picture of adoption, the picture of, of, of God's right hand, which we sit in often. It's this picture of power, of skill, of help, of action, of intimacy, of communication. This is uh, the, the communication, just placing your hand on another human being. Again, the intimacy that's associated with that. Realizing that what we are speaking, what we are praying, that we are acting under the authority of God. This isn't our self-will, but we are praying for God's will in your life. And here Jacob knowingly puts his right hand on the younger son's head. And this is a position, this is elevating him to a position that he doesn't deserve, that he wasn't born to, that he doesn't belong. So, and again, this, is, this becomes important in the New Testament because how many times have you heard that Jesus is the firstborn of God? He's not created. The whole idea of being the firstborn is the idea of preeminence. It's position. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 1 tells us. It's his position of being the firstborn, the authority that has been given to him, granted to him. Not only because he is God from all eternity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but who he is as the Son who was sent to be just like us in this flesh, to die for us on the cross. To be a satisfaction of payment that is due for each and every human being. And the evidence of that is his resurrection from the dead. I mean, this is the information that we sit in. When, when the New Testament calls Jesus the firstborn, it has a lot of depth. It has much meaning to it. When we sit in the idea this morning that God is sovereign, it's something that we just blow by in life 100 miles an hour. Of course God's in control. Some of us struggle with that. Some of us recognize that. But when something feels out of whack in your life, who's the first being that you go complaining to? God, what are you doing? Sovereign 
by definition, has everything to do with power. Listen to these other words. Supreme. Absolute. Unlimited. Unrestricted. Unrestrained. Boundless. Infinite. Ultimate. Total. Unconditional power. We blow by God in our daily lives. I know many of us in this room, we pause, we, give, we have given God our hearts and our minds and our lives. We sit in him in prayer. We sit with him in his word. We fellowship with one another. We serve one another. We worship. And those are singular moments. We slice in and we slice out. But when we talk about God as sovereign, we're talking about God. He, the, the great big moments of life where you need him and you're begging for him to act and to move. And the very minuscule things of life that you could care less if God is involved in or not. He cares. And he is very involved in every area of our life. Every breath that we take every pump of our heart, every thought that we think, every struggle that we have, every sin that we've committed, everything he is intimately and sovereignly aware of. When we talk about God, when we talk about Jesus, the Christ, his son, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the one in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Youth conference yesterday, I'm sitting there waiting for the kids to get out. And the pastor that's speaking at the end gives this imagery of the astronauts that are up in space. And when the astronauts who actually see how small the earth is in comparison to the vastness of heaven, it's psychologically transformational for them. The idea that God is sovereign ought to be moment by moment transformational for us in recognition of his power. And not just of his power, but that, mean, that, that encompasses the rest of him. That means his love, that attribute of his love towards us, his care towards us, his provision towards us, his will for us. Who he is in his core, that vastness, radically transformational when we listen and engage in this being who made us. Because again, what's this life all about? What did you spend yesterday worrying about? What did you spend last week doing? You go to work, take care of the kids. Did some chores, some things got broken, some things got fixed. Some people got yelled at, some people got cried with, some people got laughed with. What'd your life look like in the last week? We sit in remembrance of his sacrifice. We sit in remembrance of his presence. We sit in remembrance that he is in sovereign control of our moments, our present moments. We don't live in the past. 
We don't live in the future. We live right now with God. And the God who created the heavens and the earth has told us that through faith in his son, he dwells in this. In all of my brokenness, in all of my weirdness, He dwells here in love, in holiness, in gentleness, in grace, in mercy, as a father, as savior, and as sovereign king. As incredibly comforting, incredibly comforting. And I say that because as we turn to chapter 49, Jacob is going to speak prophecy over his sons. So he is hearing from this sovereign God who is his God, who is our God. And as he is hearing from God, the words that are coming out of his mouth, they are prophetic. They are predicting the future of his sons. It's not Jacob, it's God. But in the prediction that's associated with future generations, the future generations will live with the imprint of their forefathers. As we go through this, some of these men, I want the imprint of them in my life. Some of these men, I don't want to have anything to do with. But all of these men are the unified body of Israel. Just as like we, we sit in this room we can sit in this world with other people who declare the name of Christ. And this is what we talked about last week in regards to relationship. There are some people that we don't want anything of what their lives look like. Even though they're believers, we don't want anything to do with them. And there's others that, oh man, I would love to, I would love to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. Listen to this as we read. Because in the sovereignty of God in our lives, it is very clear that there are unalterable circumstances that God wills to occur in our lives that are non-negotiables. They will not change, period. And then it is very clear that we have a lot of choice in the relationship that we have with God. So as we're, we read through these men, not a single one of these men were cut off from Israel. But all of these men, their descendants lived in the consequences of their behaviors, good or bad. Now listen to this as we read through chapter 49. Jacob calls his sons, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Again, this future, some are going to see it in the end times, the very last days. Most I line up with, much of this has already been fulfilled in the nation of Israel and the tribes. But this is, this is prophetic poetry. It's, uh, it's thick as we listen to it. Some it's easy to grasp, others it's harder. Verse 2, gather together. These are commands. Gather, hear, listen. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. That sounds good. Unstable 
is water. You shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united with their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. O Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Gad... A troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well. That's a fruitful bow, right? Man. Phonetics, English doesn't make sense. A fruitful bow, there we go. A fruitful bow by the whale. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But here we go. His bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you, and by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father, have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of, his, of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, first mentioned again in the Bible. 
And this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with, uh, with the field of Ephron, the Hittite, as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah's wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Question. Whose blessing do you want? Like seriously, as you, as you sit and read through this text, here you have a father pronouncing God-sourced prophecy over his sons. Which words would you want to hear from your dad? Do you want to hear Reuben's words? You shall not excel. Why? Did something really bad that we've already covered and discussed. In that immorality, it's not just the, the thing that he did, but it was the heart behind it because he was trying to usurp authority from his father. So ultimately, Reuben's pride, he was the first. He was the firstborn all the privilege, the right hand, the blessings, everything that it means to be the firstborn were Reuben's to be had. But because of his choices and because of his behavior, the first became what? Last. Reuben is a picture of that teaching that Jesus gives to us. Many who are last, they will be first in his kingdom. Many who are first will be last. But again, a note here, even in his rebellion, even in his pride, was he cut off as a child. This is one of the beautiful things about God's sovereignty. His choice to create you, his choice to call you, his choice to save you, your relationship that you have with him through faith in Christ your adoption. There's nothing you can do that will remove you from that position and that relationship other than you just becoming totally apostate and say, I want nothing to do with the God who created me. Otherwise, in the midst of all your trials and struggles and sins and, and man, I wish I didn't do that. And how can God love me? He loves you, and you're his. But I ask the question, and before we go through the rest of these, I want you to have this in your mind as we go through these. Every single blessing that Jacob pronounces over his sons are yours in Christ. The adoption, when he says, Ephraim and Manasseh, they are mine 
they will inherit with their brothers by becoming one with Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that he is, everything that he created for all eternity are ours in him. Every single blessing that he has ever pronounced over anybody in his word, those blessings are for you in Christ, not apart from Christ. And it's not name it and claim it kind of stuff. But the blessings as we sit in the, the praise of Judah, we'll get there in a second. As we sit in all the, the blessings that Jacob just pronounced over his son Joseph, I want those blessings. I have those blessings in Christ. These words that Jacob is speaking over the nation of Israel, over his 12 sons, those are just as real for me as they were to these men. And I have a choice in my following of him, in my submission to him, in my obedience to him, in my love for him, in my adoration to him, in my service to him, in my honoring him, in my praying to him, in my sitting at his feet. I can be rebellious and deal with the chastisement of some of this. Or I can just live an open life, open mind, open heart. Lord, have your will. You have a plan. You have a purpose. I don't need to strive in it. Oh, I'm going to keep fighting for you. I'm going to keep being zealous for you. I'm not going to let my flesh win. I'm not going to let this world win over me. The devil, I, can't, I don't have any power over him, but I am strong and standing in you, Lord. Here I am. Let your will be done. Your kingdom come. For Simeon and Levi, their cruelty, their anger, and their self-will caused them to be divided in the land. Simeon ends up, his, his inheritance of land is within the land of Judah, becomes a very small and insignificant tribe. Levi is a picture of redemption, though. Because even though Levi, as this man, his cruelty, his anger, his bitterness, had consequences for his life, the future generation, they didn't have to abide forever in the consequences of who their dad was because through their obedience and their zealousness and their passion for God, their inheritance doesn't become land, their inheritance becomes the Lord himself. Because they were willing to fight on behalf of the Lord's name. There in Exodus. Judah, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is where this language comes from. So as Judah is the tribe from whom the king comes, there in verse 10, the scepter, which is this, this object of authority, kingship, sovereignty, shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet as an inheritor, and this is an interesting title for the Messiah, Shiloh. Literally means that which belongs to him or he whose it is. <laughs> the very God who created the heavens and the earth, all of it is his. Until Shiloh comes. He whose it is. To him shall be the obedience of the people's. 
What a promise. We don't have time to sit in this, but if you're taking notes, Isaiah 63, Revelation 14, and Revelation 19 fulfill or fulfill and fill up, complete this picture of what does it mean to have your clothes washed in the blood of grapes. Imagery of Christ, imagery of his sacrifice. You don't bind a donkey to a vine. It will trample the vine. You don't wash your garments in wine. You sit in a lot of the commentaries trying to figure out the poetry. They go on so many weird different things. It is, it is all a declaration of who Jesus Christ is. Zebulun, take note there when it says the sea, that is not the Mediterranean, but the Sea of Galilee. Issachar, strong as a donkey, but as lazy as can be. That's what it says here. He was strong as a donkey, but he saw that rest was good. Dan became a judge. Samson is the most famous judge there of the tribe of Dan. But this picture of Dan being a serpent, same language from Genesis 3, rather than being a just judge, becomes an accuser. And Dan is later on known for idolatry. Look at verse 18, because in the midst of this prophecy, you have Jacob just busting out in worship. I have waited. I have been looking for, look at this word, your salvation, O Lord. Anybody want to guess what the word salvation is in Hebrew? Yeshua, which is a combination of the personal self-existent name of God when he declares his name is Lord. It's Yahweh, yod Hey, vav Hey, Yeshua means the Lord saves. And he was named Jesus specifically for that. We see in the gospel of Matthew. Joseph is where we want to end Look at all this language. Archers have bitterly grieved him. He's been attacked. They shot at him. They hated him. You can sit in this language looking at it in regards to Christ also. Listen to this. His bow remained in strength. Literally, a bow being at strength, it's in full tension. It's at full power. How long could you hold on to a bow for? That full tension, full power, 20-pound bow, 50-pound bow, 70-pound bow. How long are you going to hold it before before you have to let loose? Different of us have different strengths, so we'd have a spectrum there. Look at this. The arms of his hands were made strong. This word strong, it means supple. It means quick moving. The only other time that it's used in the Bible is when David is leaping before the Lord in worship and his wife mocks him and chastises him. David is supple and agile, dancing his heart out in worship before the Lord. This is what this word means. The arms of his hands were made agile. Easy, graceful, by what? By his own strength? No, by the hands. Look at all these titles. Of the mighty God of Jacob. He is the shepherd. 
which earlier on in chapter 48, when it says, The God who has fed me all my life to this day, the word fed there is the Lord who shepherded me. First use there, God as the shepherd and all the imagery that that conveys. He is the stone of Israel. He is the rock, the foundation. That stone that followed the nation in the wilderness out of which water came. Beautiful imagery. This is the God who is the one who is strengthening Joseph. This is the sovereign God is the one who strengthens us. Our hands, our hearts, our minds, our lives. The Almighty, El Shaddai, the Almighty God is the one who will bless you. If you remember Jacob's story, what was he after in the very beginning when we're introduced to Jacob? What's he after? He's after his brother's blessing. He's after his brother's birthright. Talked before in Genesis 35 at Bethel, when the mighty God reveals himself to him, God Almighty blesses him. That which he was in pursuit of all of his life could not take unto himself. God freely and graciously gave to him and blessed him. Again, this is where we sit in relationship with the sovereign God. Listen to this. With blessings of heaven above, the rain, all the, all the beautiful rain that we've had over this past week. The fruit that it provides. This is the imagery. Blessings from heaven above, from his very throne, from his very presence. And we're not talking about an object. We are talking about the person of God. Blessings of the deep that lies beneath the dew. Moms. Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Dads. The blessings of your father. And all the ways that God has blessed those of prior generations. He is the same sovereign God that is blessing today. And I do really want to get back into the question of how do you want God to bless you? As you, as you sit in all the language of the Bible that you know. What are those, what are those times when you know that God has spoken to you through his spirit, through his word, through a circumstance, where he's given you his promise, he's given you his blessing, that's just something you know it's for you. You know that this is for you to hold on to in him. And not that you're holding on to what you get, you're holding on to your relationship with him, knowing and trusting that he's holding on to you. As we sit in the text this morning, I still ask the question, which blessing do you want? I want Joseph's blessing. Joseph, Ephraim becomes synonymous with the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom never has a godly king. Every single one of their kings was idolatrous, 
and led the people in wickedness and immorality. Southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they weren't much better. They kind of flip-flopped back and forth between good king, evil king. Every single one of those cycles, we're watching the sovereign God at work. We watch the sovereign God give a promise to King David that he would have a descendant that would be seated on the throne of the nation of Israel forever and ever and ever. And that authority, that scepter will not depart until Shiloh comes, until Messiah comes. There's a rabbinic tradition and writing, Josephus tells us, that when Rome removed the nation of Israel's ability to of capital punishment, that they had, that was their last piece of sovereignty that they had as a nation, that the rabbis tore their clothes and they mourned because the word of God was now unfulfilled. Shiloh had not come. Israel has lost its kingly sovereign authority to the oppressing nation over them, Rome. God's word is broken. And we're told roughly at that same point, Jesus would have been a 12-year-old young man teaching the religious leaders in the temple God's word. Shiloh has come. Messiah has come. The sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth, who, cre- who made you, who sourced you, who again is intimately, personally, passionately, cognitively aware of everything about you, every cell, every atom, every thought, every mistake, every blessing. He's here ready to give you every single blessing in his son, Jesus, and in Jesus alone. Apart from Jesus, we are told that humanity are the children of wrath, are the children of disobedience, But in Christ, we are the adopted, firstborn, inheritors of all that he is. That's his promise, and that's his blessing. Worship team, come on up. Father, you've been communicating to me a lot in regards to just what it means for me to be following you and the different areas and aspects of my life in which I serve you, which is in all, Lord, in my marriage, in my parenting, here in this congregation. Lord, you've been repetitiously communicating to my heart and to my mind this life is not about a lecture
through hearing, Lord, through the hearing of your word, through the proclamation of your word, we respond to you in faith, in trust, in belief, in confident hope. Lord, when I, when I open my eyes and I look out into this world, all I see is I see brokenness and I see decay. I see the weeds that overtake. I see people just damaging each other. Open my eyes in you. I see so much promise. I see so much hope. I see so much fruit. I have so much gratitude. Who am I, Lord, that you created me? Who am I, Lord, that you've she is in it die for my sin? You became sin for me. Lord, when we look at this world, we see everybody dies. Everything dies. There is no victory over that. And then we've heard, Lord, that the repetitious testimony of your death for us We've heard, Lord, that those who watched you die, those who buried you in the tomb, Lord, they saw you come back alive. They ate with you. They touched you. They listened to you. They smelled you. They watched you ascend into heaven. They waited for your promises and your blessing, Lord. They were filled with the Spirit. These men, Lord, and their discouragement, and, and the women too, Lord, their lack of understanding, the life that you breathed into them, Lord. We sit in the book of Acts and we listen to the testimony of the truth of your resurrection, your victory over death. Gives us just a slice of what it means for you to be sovereign, absolute power in control. This is your plan. Lord, I'm praying for everybody that's listening, Lord. That they would hear your voice and your spirit speak to them. I remember what it was like, Lord, to, to not want to say anything, to, to struggle. Am I really hearing this? Is, is, am I just thinking this? Is this just me? Lord, those who are in this room who have not cried out to you as the sovereign savior of their life. Lord, I'm asking you that this would be the moment that they'd humble themselves, not before man, but before you, the sovereign God who has created them, and who has promised each of us life in your son, that you'd give them the strength right now, Lord, and the boldness to cry out to you for salvation, for cleansing, for life, for redemption. 
And Lord, that you would strengthen all of us in our faith, our trust in you as we walk not by sight, but as we walk by our confidence that you are who you have revealed yourself to be. We worship you. Enable us to do so, Lord.